Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. It has been a long time. I hope everyone's enjoying their summers. My name, as always, and still remains, even though it's been a while, my name is Dan Roselle. Good to join you here. John Fisher, my co-host and stalwart runner of All About the Jersey. How are you, John? I am doing well and gearing up for what will be a very, very, very busy July, Dan. Would you like to run us through what is going on? You know, the playoffs were very interesting, I would say. It was fun to watch the playoffs this year. It was fun to have that experience happen a little bit into the summer uh, as well. It was very unique to have, you know, NHL games happening in late June and July, even though, you know, in 94 they happen in late June as well. But that all being said, um, as you know, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're at least a little bit aware of what's happening in the hockey world beyond just the New Jersey Devils. And the Tampa Bay Lightning have emerged as the back-to-back winners of the Stanley Cup. Um, You know, the path to get there wasn't conventional. It wasn't really expected by a lot of people for a lot of the teams that did make their way through the playoffs. But I would say the overall result is not all that surprising considering they brought back pretty much the same team and also were uh, extremely non-cap compliant in the time where it makes the most convenience to not be cap compliant. But that being said, uh, congratulations to former Devils. Pat Maroon and Blake Coleman for winning their second cup in a row. Um, good for the legacies, good for Tampa Bay. Finally, you know, getting over that hump last year and continuing the success this year after they had kind of sniffed around the championship for a long time. So Tampa Bay wins the cup. Um, the Islanders get to the semifinals, which means the Devils draft pick uh, in the first round, the latter of their two picks will be number 29. And so let's get to Devils business now that the offseason has officially started. As Tampa Bay from the city of champions, uh, apparently Tampa Bay, who's been winning everything or getting to finals, wrapped up the Stanley Cup. Every other team was on high alert. Every other team is thinking about not just next year's Cup now, they're also thinking about the immediate things coming up uh, within these next couple of weeks. And so... As everyone knows, Seattle Kraken will join the league as the 32nd team next year, which means that they need to field the team first. And so that is right on the horizon here as the um, as the Devils look to figure out who they're going to protect and who they're going to expose for the Kraken to be able to draft. And some of those decisions were made um, a little easier for the Devils as they did some housekeeping with some contracts uh, in order to create a more reasonable expansion list, I would say, as they re-signed Jonas Siegenthaler to a two-year deal and Scott Wedgwood, I think, to another one-year deal. 
Correct. A one-year uh, two-way contract, in fact, which is pretty much code for have fun in Utica <laughs> unless unless something bad happens. Well, unless the Devils and aren't also, able to also, sign a veteran backup, right? Well, yeah, but let's be real. They, they're going to do that. Yeah. They kind of have to. It can't be Scott Wedgwood. Even though his season wasn't that bad, um, Scott Wedgwood is not your – he's not a legitimate option. Let's just be real. And he's it's not, not going to be Akira Schmid right now. No, or or, you know – you know what? We're not going to get into goaltender depth right now. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to, instead, I'm going to talk about the other depth players that they recently signed. So since recording, I believe Nathan Bashing got signed to a new deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you said, um, Jonas Siegenthaler was re-signed to two years, which was totally expected since the guy who traded for him, you know, literally said, we brought him in because he wasn't getting minutes. Yep. So Give minutes. he's getting minutes yeah. for two years. Makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so... The way this all plays out as of right now, and I do have to emphasize and date the recording a little bit, saying we're recording this on, on the morning of July 11th, because there's still some things that could happen to, you know, uh, change how the Devils approach expansion draft. And they do have to do this soon, because on July 17th, which is this coming Saturday, all expansion draft protection lists have to be submitted, and there's going to be a nice uh, trade freeze from the 18th through the 21st until the expansion draft is completed. So this way, teams can't be like, haha, we exposed this guy, but now we traded him, so you can't take him from us. Like, mm-hmm. not the NHL will say, nah, son, you have to. Uh, you, have, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, the exposure requirements, just to briefly go over what they are, is that every team, every team, Dan – has to expose at least two forwards and at least one defenseman who is signed through next season and has either played 27 games last season or a combined 54 games in the last two. And if somebody has a no-movement clause, they have to be protected. Um, and goaltenders, the, the restrictions are a little uh, looser in that uh, you can leave an RFA, a pending RFA goaltender exposed, provided that you qualify that goaltender. So with that, I bring that last point up first or last, okay, go with it, is that uh, originally the Devils already had the exposure requirement fulfilled with Evan Cormier, provided that they qualified him. But now that they signed Scott Wedgwood, they don't have to qualify Evan Cormier, which is probably for the best because he has not been good. Mm -hmm. So this may be the end of Evan Cormier's time in the organization. If so, we wish you well, Evan. With Jonas Stiegenthaler being re-signed to a two-year deal, it it all but says that he's going to get a protection slot. Uh, the Devils could expose him, but that would make no sense. Mm. Like, why would you re-sign this dude, give him a bump and pay, no less, Yeah, and then just leave him open for Seattle to pick for free? Well, and also, Makes you know, the, the sample size was relatively small, but it wasn't a bad sample at all. It was only eight games, no. I think, uh, that he got into because he also got hit by COVID-19. But right. um, in those eight games, he didn't look out of place. His, uh, you know, his advanced metrics looked pretty good, and... Pretty good relative to what the rest of the Devils look like last year, at least. But th- it looks like there's definitely something there that the Devils could make use of. And, and definitely the potential that he was showing in Washington to um, succeed in more of a emphasized role is something that there's no reason not to believe it can still happen in New Jersey based on those samples. Correct. And, you know, this is also good because it means the Devils don't have to keep rolling out the Connor Carricks and the Matt Tennysons of the world. Um, and it also means guys like Kevin Ball, Riley Walsh, Nikita Akutyuk, they can, they can take their time. Like they're not going to necessarily be thrown into the wild, so to speak. I know Ball got NHL games last season, um, but that was at, you know, at the uh, point of the season where it didn't matter anymore. You know, it was just, yeah, give you some games. Who cares? We're going to be bad anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, and with the forwards, uh, so Bastion being re-signed, 
means that he is now eligible to meet the forward exposure requirement because before that signing, the Devils only had five guys that met those requirements. And those guys included Nico Heischer, Jesper Bratt, Pavel Zaka, Miles Wood, and Andreas Janssen. And out of those five, I think one of them, Janssen, is likely going to be the fan favorite to be exposed. Mm -hmm. But you wouldn't want to leave – you definitely wouldn't want to leave Nico Heischer exposed. You're not going to leave Bratt exposed. They gave Miles Wood an A at some point last season, so you're not going to expose him. And after the season Zaka just had, it would be a little silly to expose him and give him away for free, at least. So, you know, Basham being re-signed kind of puts him on the odd man out. And over the next couple weeks, or the next six days, I should say, if Nick Merkley gets a new contract, Michael McClaw gets a new contract, um, then maybe Basham can be protected in lieu of one of those two. Mm-hmm. So, so in a sense, that's kind of what every team in the league is doing right now. And for some teams, like the aforementioned uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning, um, yeah, they 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 have a lot of work to do. Uh, they have they have they have a lot of players that can meet the requirements, but uh, ooh, it's going to be a tough decision since they absolutely positively have to protect Kucherov, Stamkos, and Hedman because they have no movement clauses. So right there, that's three players out of a potential eight or a potential ten skaters. That you can protect. So well, yeah, but they, you know, they have the expansion concerns, uh, you know, built in already. But they also have salary cap concerns built oh, in. Oh yeah. So this do. is kind of a twofold issue that a lot of teams are facing. That definitely are not the New Jersey Devils or the Detroit Red Wings. But a lot of teams are facing this issue of, well, okay, we have to think about our expansion protection list, but we also have to worry about being cap compliant next year. And you right. know, a lot of these contending teams are right up against it, and a lot of them were. Um, uh, we're really trying to find ways to keep a lot of their good young players, but there's some teams that have players that are due for contracts right now. I think absolutely, uh, you know, a team that comes to mind is Vancouver as well. They have a lot of people who um, need contracts at approximately the same time. And so they're not, you know, a very good team, but they also have a lot of good young players that need that. And so this expansion brings up a new challenge for them where, it's not even like those players are young enough to not have to be protected. These are all people that are coming off that ELC. They're all looking for that mm-hmm. second contract. So it's going to be difficult to see how they navigate this, but luckily the Devils face no such problem. I mean, they have $36 million in cap space entering the year. Yeah, and their RFAs include the likes of the aforementioned Michael McLeod, Nick Merkley. I mean, the more, the more interesting question will be how much of a raise will Yegor Sharangovich and Yanni Kwakening get? Mm-hmm. And, of course, do you start talking extension now with Jack Hughes? Yep. I think you have to, right? (laughs) Yeah, you have to at least start the conversation. You know, if I were Jack Hughes, and I would do this with any player. It's not just with Jack Hughes. But I would tell any player, you know, unless you love the offer and you earnestly believe you're not going to get a better one after your contract year is concluded, then do not sign an extension. Like, wait until you have a great – if you have a great season, you basically have undercutted your leverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the, you know, if I were the player's agent, my goal is to get my client the most money possible, or whatever my client tells me, whatever he wants to do. But typically, that's going to be get me the most money possible. And even if offer so, sheet, it's not like the Devils wouldn't match anything that came through. No, and, unless and, it was and, truly unreasonable. Because, yeah, and, and truth be told, you know, the Devils don't have a lot of room to do offer sheets of their own since they don't own their second round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the Islander second round pick, but I don't think you can use that in an offer sheet. So your limit and you don't want to burn the fourth overall pick no. or next year's first round pick, because if the Devils aren't going to be good next year, um, you know, that's not a draft you want to not have a yeah. first round pick in that. But we're not going to get into the 2022 draft eligible uh, 
greatness because we have to get through the 2021 draft class, you know, which honestly, is coming I, the following I'd, week. I'd rather not even think about it because I don't want to think about drafting high again. That would be nice not to mm-hmm. have to do that, but you know. I, I agree. <laughs> I don't want to be part of the lottery process for a change. It would yeah. be nice. You know, I understand the old criticism, oh, you're never going to get better if you're always picking in the middle of the draft. Well, if you scout well, you will because mm-hmm. hockey is not like basketball where – you know, after the first uh, ten or so guys, you're 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 looking for diamonds in the rough, so to speak. Yeah. Um, nevertheless, speaking of draft stand, after the expansion draft, which is going to take place on the 21st, I believe, on ESPN, mm-hmm. which means that's right, the NBC broadcasts are done. No more Pierre, as I understand it, unless ESPN does something dumb and hire him. Uh, we've got the NHL draft. On the 23rd and the 24th, Friday and Saturday, right after the expansion draft. And that's where the 2021 draft class will be selected, and the Devils will get to pick 4th and 29th. Technically 28th, because Arizona's pick is forfeit, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it's still early in the first round and late in the first round. And that will be their highest picks in this year's class. Mm -hmm. So a lot of interesting things to talk about. I think we did talk about the number four specifically after the lottery. Um, just because, you know, there's a lot of Devils related names in there. And as more and more quotes come out, it's getting much, much harder not to envision Luke Hughes in a Devils uniform, uh, especially given what, you know, he said around his press conference this week, what Jack said to kind of back that up. And it would be great to see them both in a Devils uniform, especially because he fulfills a significant need that the Devils have right now uh, on defense. So, you know, that remains to be seen. And of course, expansion could also, you know, uproot a lot of this draft order. There could be a lot of shifting, moving around a lot of the, I don't think think there's going to be a lot of the same type of deal that we saw um, with Vegas, just because I don't think anyone's going to offer and, uh, you know, Vegas, another pick to take Jonathan Marchessaw and Riley Smith off their hands. I can't imagine that a team will screw up that badly again in terms of creating Seattle's roster for them. But um, that being said, you know, everyone is hyper aware of what the consequences were of what they did with the Vegas team that has managed to be a contender basically their entire existence. I'm sure that the existing GMs want to avoid making Seattle that much of a contender right away um, Mm -hmm. in the interest of keeping their own jobs. But um, it'll be, I don't know, it'll be strange to see how people react to, how people react and adapt to what happened the first time, but, and how that impacts this first round specifically, because I think that, with this first round outside of, you know, top eight or 10, I don't think any team is too attached to their selection order. Yeah. I mean, unless the team itself has like, you know, their, their prospect cupboard is bare. Um, this is a draft class where I would imagine there's going to be a lot of volatility. Mm-hmm. I'll use a big word for everybody there. I mean, as it stands the first round, you know, ahead of this draft class it, with previous trades, trades at the deadline, Five first-round picks have already been moved to other teams, including the Islanders sending their first-rounders to the Devils, uh, which is now 29th. I mean, Washington moved their first to Detroit. Toronto moved their first to Columbus. Pittsburgh moved their first to Minnesota. Tampa Bay already moved their first to Columbus. And, of course, Arizona already forfeited. So I wouldn't be super shocked that, you know, ahead of the expansion draft and even right after the expansion draft, and, and of course, on draft day itself, because that does happen, you're going to see a lot of movement. Um you know, within this first round, I, do, I wouldn't be too um, I, I wouldn't be too committed to the current order because it could change very, very quickly. Because the reality is, as you said, Dan, is that after you get past the eighth overall pick, 
you know, you can make an argument that the guy who really should be ranked, you know, a guy who's considered to be 20th among rankings, among scouting services, pick your favorite. There's a lot of them out there mm-hmm. could end up being the ninth overall pick. Like I've seen a whole lot of reaches, except they're not really reaches because you can make an argument over, you know, that guy may turn out to be very, very good. And therefore it justifies the pick well, or the team who's picking there really could use a player like yeah, that. So yeah. therefore like they could invest go the time way. in a project potentially rather than take the short thing, like a team in that spot might have more flexibility or they might be in that spot for, you know, injury reasons in a COVID season, something like that. It's oh, yeah. something that um, I, I don't think anyone is really too disappointed with where they end up if it's anywhere outside the top. I would say 10, maybe just to round, give a round number of some kind. But, um, you know, I, I've always I've heard that there are top eight and then the rest. Pretty much. And, you know, it's shocking to me I, also that Buffalo doesn't have another first round pick, right? They Well, they, they might change that since uh, a certain Mr. Jack Eichel is unhappy. Yeah, but uh, the fact <laughs> that they didn't get one for Hall and Lazar is stunning. Well, that's a credit to Kevin Adams and the market. Yeah. Uh, you know, when everybody knows you stink and the player wants out, you kind of don't have a lot of leverage for uh, asking a whole you lot. You move the best player at the deadline and get what is not the best return. So there you go. Right. But nevertheless, getting back to the draft class yep. is that, you know, as you mentioned, this was a very, you know, undercutted <laughs> that's a terrible word, undercut draft class because the OHL, one of the biggest uh, providers of prospects, they didn't have a season at all. The Western Hockey League only had a 26 or 28 game season of truncated season. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League also had a truncated season and had stoppages due to COVID. Sweden's junior leagues shut down for a period of time. So a lot of those guys, you know, there's a lot of good Swedish prospects in this draft class, I will say. But a lot of them were moved up to play SHL hockey or Alfenskin hockey when they clearly weren't ready. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think every country has had some kind of interruption except for maybe Russia. <laughs> and, uh, you know, say what you, you know, that I, I wish I could say I'm surprised. We're not. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, you know, there's definitely, you know, the world under 18s were also the biggest stars at the world under 18 tournament, which is typically where you see the draft eligible star in that in that in that tournament. Mm-hmm. Well, the biggest names that really pop out in that tournament are guys who are going to be picked in future drafts like Matvey Michkov of the 2023 draft or Shane uh, Shane Wright of the 2022 draft. Uh, or Connor Bedard of the 2023 oh, draft. God. My goodness, it's, it's we're already getting hyped for future years. Um, I mean, that guy but, is crazy, though. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all crazy good. He's like, so there's good. a with stars uh, at age 16 and 17 in an under 18 oh, tournament. God, it's gonna suck when he's stuck in Calgary for 15 years. Something well, that's like assuming that. he's not stuck in Russia for 15 years. Oh. But that's a different. Oh, I was talking about Bedard mostly. Oh, I was talking about Mitchkov. But nevertheless, yeah. <laughs> Nevertheless, the Devils at least have a pick in this top eight, Mm -hmm. and therefore the names – there are names to get excited for. So if you're going to pay attention to this draft, you can watch the first hour, and then afterwards it'll just leave it up to, you know, the the hardcore fans like us. Then again, if you're listening to a hockey podcast about the New Jersey Devils in July, you're probably a hardcore (laughs) fan yourself. So stick around for a brief discussion about 29, and, you know, obviously we'll be covering the whole draft uh, throughout the day on Saturday – uh, at all about the jersey but at four dan well also i just want to say before we talk about four you never know how it can go because we never expected to be talking about shakir mukamadula in the first round last year this is very true uh <laughs> very very true and you're gonna see a lot of those takes where a lot of people are just gonna be like i'm so shocked they picked this guy here and it's like 
yeah, but in this draft year, like, are you really that shocked? Uh, we could have two goaltenders drafted in the first round, and it wouldn't be that out of uh, out of place. We could actually have a goaltender selected in the top ten as one of those eight, uh, the magical eight, the hateful eight. No, not the hateful. <laughs> uh, is uh, you know Jesper Valstedt mm-hmm. of Lulea, who had this amazing season in SHL hockey. He was a regular goaltender for their senior team. Like he's one of those goaltenders where you look back at uh, Swedish goaltending history and there is some history of Swedish goaltenders, Dan. And this guy has been killing it at age levels higher than him his entire you know career. Uh, he's been doing stuff that I don't think any goaltender in Sweden's history has done uh, at this young of an age. So, I mean, he's definitely a top guy. And if you're a team like Detroit or, or San Jose, you know, at six and seven, respectively, Wallstedt could be a better value pick than rolling the dice at the bottom end of this uh, group of eight, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we're talking about with this year's draft class in well, terms of surprises. I think the names that we've been seeing floating around, a lot of them have to do with the fact that they do have Devils connections specifically. And, you know, yes, I mentioned yes. Luke Hughes earlier. Uh, Brant Clark is someone whose name has been coming up. And William Eklund, um, that's right. who is, you know, holds his center in the SHL. So... I winger. Th- or sorry, winger. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Josephson has been there. Josephson has been their center. Another Devils connection. <laughs> Another Devil, yeah. Hard to ignore that one. But yeah, so th- I think those three are popping up the most, but it's not to say that they're the only options. I just think no. they're the ones that are the easiest options to envision, given the fact that the connection's already there. It's There's nothing wrong with drafting based on a connection. I think there's a misconception here that's like, well, just because they're brothers, you know, you should still take the best person available or just because they're related in some way, you should take the best person available. But there is something to be said about having familiarity with an organization before you even arrive there. There's something to be said about being comfortable being at the rink or knowing the rink to some extent before you show up for your first actual work day there. I think there's something, some level of adjustment period that is a lot easier to do when you have a sibling working for the organization already, as opposed to you're coming in fresh. Not that anyone needs, you know, that level of nepotism to adjust to um, that setting, but by their own merits, these guys are supposed to go near number four anyway. And so it wouldn't be that foreign to kind of enhance the pick in a way by even giving them that connection so that the adjustment period is even less than it would be normally. Yeah. And on top of that, Dan, um, I'm glad you you said it correctly here. That's also I want to point out that that's for Amy Kimball to discover. That's not like, oh, no, she wouldn't be discovering it. She's not with the organization. Oh, She's not. Okay, so so whoever's doing their like (laughs) scouting slash. Oh, that that actually might be Megan Duggan to some extent uh, as well at this point uh, for player development. But it's, it's up to her and up to the rest of the team. I would say this falls on more the psychological team than the scouts to say how much of an adjustment period will this kid need? How much help will they need from either their sibling or the organization we have or the person that they know in here? Or is this new person just ready to like come in? Is it going to be someone outside of those three guys uh, that we're seeing that's just blown them away uh, in the interviews to an extent where they think they can handle it? They don't need any sort of help. Right. And I'm glad you said that. Uh, in that spiel that, um, you know, these guys are legitimate options at four. Like Luke Hughes out of the group of eight is the youngest. Like all these other guys that are being touted for being top picks in this year's draft class are at least just about 18 and a half to nearly 19 years old. And Luke Hughes is not 18 yet. So in a sense, he's got the most quote unquote runway. Like he can still develop a little bit more. He's going to go to Michigan, which is the home of Owen Power, Matthew Beneers and Ken Johnson, who are also potential top 10 picks in this year's draft class. Right. Um, 
you know, Hughes is a fantastic skater and has a great offensive mind. The Devils don't have a lot of or really much of any offensive defenseman with a legitimate NHL future in their prospect pipeline outside of Riley Walsh. So Luke Hughes is a fantastic fit. And, um, you know, if Jack, if it makes Jack happy and Quinn want to move across the continent, that's fine. That's a fun little narrative. <laughs> will be beaten to death. But honestly, Luke Hughes may, you know, may truly be the best pick to go with because I'm a big believer that skating is vital to any position, to any role. If you cannot skate, you are going to have some sort of struggle or drawback unless you are super good at everything else. Or a goalie. Uh, or a goalie. But even then with a the goalie, you know, you want an athletic goaltender. But it's not so much skating as much as, like, move. I don't even mechanics. know if it's, like, yeah, yeah, mechanics of skating. It's not like yeah. speed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's actually part of the reason why I'm a little hesitant on Brant Clark. Like, if Hughes is my number one thinking for number four, fourth overall, Clark would be a, a 1A. Like, Clark does a lot of the same things that Hughes already does. Um, he's a little bit older. He's a right-handed defenseman, so that's always a plus. And uh, Clark was a stud at the World Under 18. So despite, um, you know, despite his tumultuous season where he got a loan to Slovakia uh, to keep playing. So, you know, credit to him. He was able to get that loan to uh, not hang out and do nothing in the OHL. Um, But, um, you know, the skating mechanics for Clark are have been noted as a big concern to say the stuff that you're doing here is going to hinder you when the game gets faster and the players get meaner and fast and, you know, stronger. And, um you know, it's going to be a big question of can Clark correct this? Can, and more importantly, can the organization who drafts him also correct it? And that's a question the Devils can only answer for themselves. But if they take Clark instead of Hughes, that's a legitimate choice. Like, that's defendable. I would say that's fine. It's basically Luke Hughes, right-handed, slightly shorter, slightly older. He, he's Graham's brother. It makes Graham Clark happy, which nobody will talk about because well, yeah. he's Graham Clark. No disrespect to him, but he's not Jack Hughes. But also Graham uh, Clark was having a nice little season among all this nonsense, too. So he might be someone that actually comes up and ends up playing on Jack Hughes's wing. Who knows? Eventually. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the other option that you mentioned, the other connection, so to speak, uh, and I'm bringing this up now because we're doing our mock draft at SB Nation mm-hmm. and he was available. I could have picked this guy, and it was really hard for me and Brian not to take him. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Eklund, who I actually might think he is the best forward in this draft. I know Beniers has been touted as a potential number one pick, and you know he, he's he's you know a fantastic you know two hundred foot player, so to speak. Two hundred foot center, and, though, right? And a center, yeah, he's a center. But Eklund, you know, he does everything so well. And Dan, I want you to think about this for a moment here. Imagine. Jack Hughes feeding pucks to William Eklund and Alexander Holtz. Yeah, I mean, I'm down. That's an exciting, <laughs> exciting possibility. <laughs> yeah, and, and Eklund, again, if you don't put Eklund with Holtz, he's going to be fine because he literally does everything really well. He's done it really well at the SHL level. So, yeah, he may not be a big dude. Yeah, he's just under 19 years old. But this is a dude with pro experience coming in. And, you know... Again, in our draft in, among the SB Nation people, he he was available at four. And if you're going to pick a forward over Hughes or Clark, who are both defensemen, and I imagine would be popular choices since, you know, defense is a need mm-hmm. prospect-wise and, you know, legit you know, New Jersey-wise. Yeah. Uh, you know, but Eklund would be a hard – you know, Eklund would be a fantastic choice. I would go to the Matt defending an Eklund pick over Hughes or Clark. Well, I is- would prefer Hughes or Clark over both of them. 
but I could defend Eckland. Well, I think the expansion easily. draft helps to answer a few of those questions too, right? Like it depends on who's going to be on the move, who the Devils yeah. are able to acquire, who they lose, and also where does the organization think they are? If they're drafting another forward, they must think that, okay, what was the problem last year is that we just couldn't finish our chances. So we need more finishers to tilt the game flow and kind of Always ease get the strain finished. of our goaltenders. And that's fine. That's definitely something they need. But how much is that a factor over what was causing them to not have success over the fact that their defense was porous, over the fact that the penalty kill was abysmal? The power play couldn't do anything because they got really no help from the back end on the power play. Um, how much of that is going to influence the pick? So it's going to, you know, if they draft a forward, it tells you one thing about where they think they are with their defense core, where they think they are with their forward core. If they just need that little push to start scoring and basically just have every game be a 6-5 shootout or... If they think that, you know, we have time to develop a defenseman, take the last year until Jack signs his second contract to kind of try and get good and then really try and build the rest of the forward core after that. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes and also curious to see what they think a full season of a healthy Nico Heischer would look like. Certainly. Now, I will I will emphasize this one point before we briefly talk about 29, because 29 is pretty much throw a dart and, you know. Maybe the guy you like will be there. Mm -hmm. He likely won't, but he could be. Um, Is that I firmly believe that nobody in this draft class, and I mean nobody, Dan, should be expected to jump into the NHL right away. I know it's very easy for fans because, you know, it's the offseason. As you just said, the devil's defense was bad. Your first thought is draft a defenseman. That's how you get better on defense. You get better defensemen. But Luke Hughes, Brent Clark... Even Simon Edvinson, who I would not want the Devils at fourth overall, uh, even if they go with a defenseman at 29th overall, whether it's a Corson Suleimans, it's uh, or a Daniel Cheka, which would be too much of a reach in my opinion, or Carson Lambos, um, I would not expect them to jump into the NHL right away. I think ev- just about everybody, Owen Power included, uh, could use another year since this past year in hockey at the developmental level, whether it's college, whether it's major junior, whether it's Europe, every just about everybody's season was undercut in some way. Mm-hmm. And those are those are important games, important opportunities, important situations that a lot of these players were deprived of. And that partially contributes to why this draft class is not seen to, as a very good draft class compared to last year's draft and what could be next year's draft class. Um, you know, I, I firmly believe there are good players in this year's draft. And if you are, you know, you do the work, you get a little bit of luck that, you know, the developmental issues in most of these players, you know, work out in the right ways. You can get some really good players out of this year's uh, draft class, but you're not going to see that like immediately. And my big fear is that especially for Buff, you know, whoever Buffalo takes it first overall, given that they're awful, there's going to be this pressure to say, well, all the other past first round picks you know, jumped in the NHL right away, except, mm-hmm. you know, the last guy who did it was Eric Johnson way back in 2006. Yeah. But I firmly believe, and I know Owen Power has already said this, mm-hmm. but uh, he, he's leaning to go back to Michigan. And honestly, I wouldn't blame him. You know, Michigan's season was cut short due to COVID. Uh, you know, Buffalo's still going to be bad. Let well, him go back to Michigan. <laughs> this whole business of like a first rounder has to contribute right away. Like you said, it hasn't been really... Like, there was a period of time where that wasn't true ever until, you know, it started being true consistently. It's something that 
Jack Hughes's move going from the U.S. National Team Development Program to the NHL was unprecedented, but it, it kind of felt like it was the natural progression. It, there was no one really questioning whether or not it would happen. And so, right, he was so dominant at that level. But yeah. that's my point. Nobody in this draft class has been dominant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if they do need a little extra seasoning, that's fine. That's all part of the process. But look at the you know first overalls. Uh, seasons that they first had mckinnon wasn't mckinnon in his first season in the no. nhl stamkos wasn't stamkos in his first season yeah, in the nhl great example yeah um he now has won two cups so really at the end of the day like if it works out eventually then great you can build the team around that pick even if they're not having the best start to their career and i think that this there's this notion of wanting to get better immediately and wanting to rush and that's something that i i think for the more impatient fan bases like ours at this point, it's something that we want to see develop sooner rather than later, but there's definitely some parts of the process that you can't skip past. Like at the end of the day, Jack Hughes just turned 20. He's not going to reach like whatever peak physical form he would reach, whatever peak mental form he would reach in the NHL for several more years. They don't need to immediately jump in. And for Buffalo, they do not have anywhere near the roster that a first round pick could fix alone. And so our first overall pick could fix alone, especially like not even just this draft, but any draft, no first round pick or first overall pick that came in, save McDavid, maybe would be able to turn them into anything resembling a contender right away. Yeah. And, and on top of that, I'm glad you brought up McDavid, because that's another cautionary tale I have for, you know, the Devils fans who are listening to it, the people who matter and anybody else who's listening to this is that Edmonton is currently in a fantastic case study of how you could have the best player in the world. And I firmly believe this. McDavid is the best player in the world. Yeah, I don't think that's very controversial. And they have one of the best wingers in the world, arguably the greatest German player ever in Leon Dreisaitl. And this team is not a Stanley Cup contender. It surprised, like, okay, it surprised everybody that they got swept, but it surprised, it it wasn't that huge of a surprise that they did not go deep in the playoffs. And you look at that team and you can see the real flaws is that you have this great guy Best, you know, already a future Hall of Famer in McDavid, a future Hall of Famer in Dreisaitl, and a bunch of jabronis. Like, <laughs> you know, you know, you need to build a roster beyond just, you know, having the top two guys and then hoping you have enough guys to sort of, um, you know, support them. You need guys who are great second, third, and even great fourth liners. If you look at how Tampa Bay won their last two cups, it's not because they have, you know, Kucherov and Stamkos. I mean, that's a big part of it. But they also had great players who filled their roles throughout the entire lineup, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. It's how they, it's how John Cooper can know that. All right, Blake Coleman fits in perfectly with Barclay Goudreau. Now my that line is even harder to play against. Mm-hmm. And you know, ultimately for a team like New Jersey, they have a few more parts than Buffalo, thankfully. And I think they have smarter, hopefully, management than Edmonton. So I, I get the impatientness. I'm starting to get impatient with things. But if you're going to improve this defense immediately, you're going to have to make some trades. You're going to have to do some free agent signings. And that's an excellent segue to the other thing that's happening in July, Dan, because a couple days after the draft on July 23 and July 24, on July 28th, free agency begins. Yeah, so there's a you lot of uh, – I'm not too like – you know, there, there's definitely free agents to get excited about in this class. There's no – I think the earth-shattering well, ones are the same people who kind of move during the deadline. Um, there's one guy I think you're forgetting. Uh, oh, Dougie Hamilton. Dougie. That's a big boy. How can you, for, how can you forget how to Dougie, Dan? Uh, well, Everybody was doing the Dougie. 
there's you were old enough, several then. good answers I can give to that. But anyway, Dougie Hamilton uh, will likely be on the... Well, I don't, I don't know if it's likely, but I, I think it's definitely possible that he'll be on the move. And uh, it's definitely possible that Devils fans are getting really excited about the prospect of the Devils having a bunch of money and also ignoring the fact that he has to actually choose living in New Jersey, which, you know, we all love and we, we can explain to people till we're hoarse, but... Um, if you're not from here, it's hard to understand until you get here. Um, but right. that being said, Dougie Hamilton has his own agency here, so he can very much choose that, despite the fact yep. that Devils have more than enough money to throw at him. And I don't even know if they want to throw all that money at him um, that he will likely require. He is worth the money now. Will he be worth the money later um, while, you know, while the team's timeline aligns more with him being elite than it did, I guess, with P.K. Subban? Right, and I'm glad you brought up P.K. Subban, Dan, because at the beginning of this month, I, I actually got this confirmed, mm-hmm. uh, signing bonuses were paid out at the beginning of this month. So you know what that means, Dan. P.K. Subban is only getting paid $2 million wow. for this season. So his salary is listed, if you go to Cap Friendly, and it's all broken down this way, so it's not. I don't have inside information. It's all publicly available at capfriendly.com. Um, his His salary... For this season was going to be eight million dollars, just like last year. Mm-hmm. However, six million of it was paid out in a signing bonus. Well, signing bonuses were just paid out, so that means whoever has PK Subban will have a nine million dollar cap hit, but only have to give him two million dollars over the course of the hundred and eighty-five or so day period that th- that teams operate under you the hear cap. That, Ron Francis, do you, you hear, hear that, that Ottawa? <laughs> do, you, do you hear that, guys? Yeah. Gotta so if you're if you're looking for so if you're looking for where are we going to find the cap space? There, <laughs> there. Um, I honestly don't think he'll be moved at the draft. Mm-hmm. I think at some point PK. I don't think PK Subban's going to finish the contract in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. But if but that's kind of what I'm bringing that up, Dan. Mostly because you know if if Fitzgerald is aiming to improve this roster and he should at least make them somewhat better. They should not be picking fourth overall unless they win a lot unless they win a lottery next year, which you know, I, I hope they're not in because uh, they have to get a little creative. They have to start thinking a little more aggressively about, all right, what can we do to make this team more competitive? Mm-hmm. You know, have what can we get? What could we have to do to get this team to play some games in March that people will care about? Um, you know, give them some meaningful games down the stretch, because I understand the complaint of all oh, you don't want to be in that doldrums where you're not good enough to make the playoffs but you're not going to get a high draft pick like that doesn't work in the nhl mm-hmm. one and two um you know I, I after several years of picking high in drafts then i'm ready for some of that you yeah, know yeah. show give me a little progress for my money that i'm spending to watch this team yeah uh, at least somewhat care about the games when we reach february march you know exactly so i'm not saying you have to you know deal away suban to do that or you have to dump miles wood onto edmonton to do that but the, you look at cap friendly. There's not a lot of guys signed through next season uh, of 22, uh, 2022 and 2023. So this is your time to get creative. You know, don't just do the very basic minimum. Tom Fitzgerald, go out there and uh, get creative. Call up, call up teams. See, see after the expansion draft, like, okay, you expose this guy, but he didn't get picked by Seattle. So what do you want from him? Hmm. You know, start asking those questions. Cause if you want to improve this team, it's not going to be as simple as, you know, talking to Dougie and hoping to uh, uh, charm him into coming to Newark. It's I mean, if you can do it, great. But, um, you know, you're going to have to be a little more um, creative than just going to the free agency market and saying, here's some guys. 
Yeah, it's sell the potential. You got to sell what this team is, and this team is completely different than what it looked like the last couple of years. Basically, the the peak potential this team reaches, you know, the guys that were shipped out, they reached the 2012 final and they reached the semifinal this year. And that's as far as probably this iteration of the team would have ever gotten, um, not having the tools to get over the hump. You know, if everything went completely perfectly, that's maximum, I think, where they could have gotten. Right. I don't think this was like a winning team by any means. I think playoffs was, would have been like nice, would have been probably good and something that if any everything hadn't hit the fan all at once, then maybe they could have achieved. But I think at the end of the day, they knew that, you know, shipping off Palmieri, Zajac, whatever, would usher in this new era. And now that it has, sell that. That's what you're selling now. These are not the devils that have, you know, the old salty vets just to stop gaps, but a team that's perennially contender. No, this is a team that had to basically start from scratch with these two young centers down the middle, you sell that, you sell the developing defenseman, you sell the vision of Mackenzie Blackwood. And I wonder how well Fitzgerald can do that because for the most part, um, you know, the more and more this goes, I would say a lot of people credit the previous GM when a new GM takes over for creating the team. But because Fitzgerald was so intimately involved, I would say this is his team as much as Ray Shiro's team. I think he... I agree. He, yeah, he, had, he was an assistant. Mm -hmm, exactly. So he had such a role that, like, he didn't inherit this team. He helped to create it. And so what is this vision going to manifest and how can he sell it? I think we've seen that he's done a decent job so far attracting free agents. Obviously it didn't work out with Corey Crawford, but I think that was still a good pickup for them. Um, yeah. And he's done well with trade so far for the most part. So I'm hoping he's able to kind of do even better in free agency this year because the devils have room for it. What's the point of weaponizing cap space if you're never going to use it? What's the point of accruing all of it if you are trading for you know, guys that are $4 million maybe, and it's tight for a team. That's, yeah, that's using the cap space, but you have so much more that you can use. And the goal is to use that to make your team as competitive as possible. And you want to be able to do that while a lot of them are on their first contracts because they're eventually not going to be making the small amounts of money they currently make against the cap. You want to make sure that they get the experience of being competitive and playing competitive hockey alongside people who have that experience, who can take them there. That way, when they sign their contracts, it's even more worth the money. They come with playoff experience attached to it now. They come with big, important game experience. So use the space you have now. Even if those agent free agents don't last the entire, you know, rise of Hughes and Sharon Govich and Kwakanen and, you know, all the other um, young guys that are in there, it's still valuable to use that space now to get them where they need to be. That's the yeah. big thing. Yeah. And, and and as one additional point here is that and, and this is a move that, you know, there's a reason why Lou Lamorello, the, the, the legend, has been in this business and has the respect that he has earned is that. He understands that, you know, I, I can't remember where exactly I read the quote, but he got the quote. He gave the quote once, which is, if I'm in a situation where I'm damned if I do and if I'm damned if I don't, I'm going to do because mm -hmm. I'd rather do and then work out later what I can do to address it. And, yeah, you might not like what you have to do later to, quote unquote, pay the cost, so to speak, to get get an awful contract off your books or get a player that didn't work out off uh, off the team. But the point is, is that you can do that. Don't be afraid that you have to make a move later down the line. If you sign Dougie for seven years at, you know, nine million with a nine million cap hit like P.K. Subban and in five years it turns out to be really toxic, look for an opportunity to move that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not necessarily going to be stuck with that forever. 
unless, you know, you completely burn your bridges within the league and you can't make a deal with anybody. You know, again, you're not going to get any favors. It's not going to be nice. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pleasant. But you're not necessarily stuck with it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, believe in your own agency. And I think for Tom Fitzgerald, it's very important that he tries to make this team more competitive sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Not just because you got Jack Hughes coming off his ELC this season. It's not just because you've got Ty Smith coming off his ELC in the following season. It's also because, you know, he, as you said, he's been intimately involved with putting this roster together since Ray Shara took over back in 2015 when he blew up the roster and started putting it back together. And now we've had another blow up of the roster effectively. And now it's Tom Fitzgerald's time to shine. If I'm ownership, if I'm Josh Harris, I'm asking the question, okay, we kept you um, instead of letting you go with the guy we fired. Yep. Because we believe in you. Exactly. But you got to deliver results a hell of a lot faster because so far, Cheryl's results, as much as you and I have praised them when they happened, a lot of people on the site have praised them when they happened. Um, you know, we understood where they were going. They didn't work out, but because it only yielded one playoff playoff series, which they lost in five to Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, you got to give me more results than that. And it's got to come a hell of a lot sooner than just one time in five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, b- beyond all that, we've covered a lot of ground today, but is there anything else that you wanted to bring up for this episode before we, um, you know, kind of pause for the expansion draft fallout to happen? Yes, I would like to give a congratulations to Ty Smith. Mm-hmm. He was named as one of the members of the All-NHL Rookie Team. So during the playoffs, they were announcing all the different awards. As you may expect, the Devils were not really in the running for anything. <laughs> oh. But Ty Smith was named as one of the two defensemen on the six-man uh, all, All-Rookie all Team next to Condre Miller. So... Uh, it's evidence that the PHWA believed that Ty Smith was one of the best rookie defensemen last season, and uh, he was. So, you know, if you're looking for building blocks for the future, he is absolutely one of them. So uh, congratulations to Ty. Yeah, the defense, the young defense core in the New York area is shaping out to be a very, very difficult gauntlet to play through, it seems. So congratulations to uh, everyone involved there, but especially Ty Smith, basically love him the most. All right, all that being said, we await what happens with the expansion draft. What is Seattle going to look like and which devil will be wearing the Kraken teal and navy blue next year? And um, all that being said, thank you again for joining us. I know these episodes have been sporadic, but to be fair, the devils haven't really done much. So uh, we're going to keep it updating for when things actually happen. Now that we're in the offseason proper, I anticipate that the episodes will be more frequent as more devils news is relevant. Um, they're finally done watching everyone else have their fun in the playoffs. And again, what was a very cool playoff season, there's a lot of cool results, a lot of interesting scenarios that played out, especially in the other conference with the Canada division as Montreal reached the final. But all that being said, welcome to the off season. We'll be back with you for more uh, Devils content in the coming weeks as their team grows and changes with the league. Thank you again for joining us and have a good rest of your day. Let's go Devils.